we're not called to be served. We're called to serve when we follow the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ. And folks, I believe with all of my heart, when you're thankful and generous and a servant, you can begin to see those multiplied miracles in your own life. What can we learn from the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Certainly, that was a miracle, but was it only to prove Christ's divinity? On today's program, David points out several lessons that each of us can take away from this story. Here's the second section of a sermon David calls, Multiplied Miracles. This lad, this five-year-old has these five barley loaves and two fish. Now don't think two big pieces of salmon. Think in terms of two pickled fish. Think of two sardines. That's how few they were, how small this food was. And again, this is the diet of the poor. So this is a five-year-old who comes from a very poor family. Now the question is begged here, where's this kid's mom? Some have suggested that she stayed at home and packed the lunch and he came maybe with other family members up the mountain to be with Jesus. Or it could be that the mom packed that lunch for the family and said, let's all go together and be with Jesus. Maybe there was an illness in the family that they needed Jesus to address to try to heal. And this was basically their lunch for the day. Now, you need to know as they're following Jesus and going up this mountain, the day is going into dark and people are getting hungry. And this is probably the food that the mama set aside for Jesus. And I wonder, I I just wonder, this isn't in the text, but I wonder if the lad, the five-year-old little boy said to his mom, I'm going to go give these five barley loaves and two fish to Jesus. And he wanted to do that. You know, Jesus said in another part in the New Testament that he wants all of us to have a childlike faith. He doesn't want us to have childish faith that is presumptive and thinks that Jesus deserves to give us whatever we want, but he wants us to have a childlike faith, which means that, hey, when my young grandchildren come up to me and they hold up their arms for me to pick them up, they have every assurance I'm going to do it and not drop them. That's a childlike faith. A childlike faith believes that mom and dad are going to supply their every need and give them the food that they need. That's a childlike faith. So I think this little lad, this five-year-old, took maybe what had been packed up for his whole family. The mom said, you know, son, if that's what you want to do, go do it. And he came and brought this to Jesus. So Andrew said, there's one who has five loaves and two fish, but what is that for so many? I mean, Andrew's faith was minimal at that point. He looked out over the fifteen to 20,000 and said, well, I don't know what this can do. And Jesus answered him in the next verse, verse 10, have the people sit down. Jesus wanted all of them to sit down because you can't eat standing up. He wanted them to enjoy the picnic. Think of a picnic when you spread out your blanket and you have some food, you all sit down on the blanket to enjoy the food that has been prepared. Now, there was much grass in this place, big spacious place. For those of you who were at the farm last weekend, just think of that view to your left and right all over the farm that's so open and so spacious. There was green grass here. There was green grass last week. That is a spacious place where everyone sat down. So the men sat down 
Notice the men, 5,000 men set down, meaning 15 to 20,000 people. About 5,000 in number were the men. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. So the first thing he does, he takes those crumbly five barley loaves, and he gives thanks to God for them. If you want to begin to have a miracle, folks, that's multiplied in every way, learn how to give thanks. Thanks is basically a synonym for grace. It's realizing that anything and everything that you have comes from God. And if thanks and grace are the same things, now you know why before every meal you're supposed to say grace. The whole idea of praying before eating comes from this section of Scripture. You are to pause before every meal and realize it's a gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. You give thanks to Him for everything that you have, not just that food. So really when you pray before meals, moms, dads, and when you get your children to pray, get them to pray not only for the food that they're about to receive, but for every good and gracious gift they have from God. Learn how to give thanks for everything, for true humility is rooted in the fact that everything comes from God and we give thanks to Him for it. That is the essence of grace. So He gave thanks and He, Jesus, distributed them to those who were seated. Note that, that the God of the universe, God in human flesh, blessed that food and then He Himself took it to the multitudes. He Himself served all of those who were seated in the grass and needing food. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. He took the bread and the fish, blessed it, gave thanks to God for it, distributed it to the people, and they all had as much as they wanted. Jesus promises to meet every single one of our needs. Not their greeds, but he did promise to meet their needs, and he gave them all that they could want. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, now, folks, stop a second. That word fill in the Greek means gorge. It means eating even above what you may need. Now, when you're out at a restaurant and you get great food, you don't take a few bites and then wait 15 minutes and then take a few more bites and then wait 15 minutes and take a few more bites. When you're experiencing really good food, you gorge on it, you eat it, you enjoy it, and it's fun to get seconds and third as quickly as you can. That's what's happening here. They ate not only all that they needed, they ate till they're full, to their gorging, which makes me think, and I don't know this for sure, and I don't want to read too much into the text, but Jesus changed water into wine, regular water into wine in John, the second chapter. Here it looks like he took five crumbly barley loaves and two pickled sardine fish and he enlarged their capacity but not only in numbers but in quality it was so good the people ate to their fill they ate to the point of gorging it was that good T jesus takes the necessary parts of our lives and exposes them and explodes them into abundance restoration and goodness and then he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers, the, the fragment leftovers, that nothing may be lost. So there's not only everything they needed and gorging upon it, but there were leftovers. And the disciples then gathered up all those leftovers so that nothing may be lost. So verse 13, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves and the two fish. 
So they gathered them all up, and they left by those who had eaten. So when, when the people saw this sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is come to the world. So Jesus had 12 baskets left over each for one of the disciples, implying like the 12 tribes of Israel wandering in the wilderness. For those of you who know that story in the Old Testament, God met their needs every morning with manna. He told them not to store it up because at the end of the day, if they tried, it would rot. And they tried sometimes and it rotted, but he was trying to teach them, give us this day our daily bread to trust him with daily provision to meet every single need. But, but here, it's like with the 12 tribes of Israel being fed with the manna every morning. There are 12 disciples whose needs are met by five barley loaves and two fish. But here, there are leftovers that Jesus allows them to have, each with a basket, each filled with leftovers for them to eat in the days to come. So he does look into the future, and he does supply their every need. And I can't help but wonder if they, each one, might have kept those baskets by their side at different times in their lives and when they wondered if Jesus would come through again and supply their needs and meet those needs in abundance, not only just giving them a miracle, but a multiplied miracle that would last far into the future, they would look at that basket and say, you know what, if he did it once, he can do it again. And when the crowds saw all of this happen, they cried out, he's the prophet, he's the prophet. That's in reference to Deuteronomy 18 verses uh, 16 through 19, the prophecy about a prophet who would come and would be even greater than Moses. And we know from Acts 7, verse 37, that when Peter was preaching, he pointed back and said, Jesus is that prophet. He's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. He is that prophet. But it's a great evidence of people concluding that Jesus was special and the fulfillment of so many of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Then finally, look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the people wanted to make Jesus into an earthly king. Why? Because that way he can keep feeding them. He can keep healing them. Uh, they can depend upon him to meet their every need. But Jesus didn't come this first time as an earthly king. He came as a spiritual king. He wants to be king over our hearts first. He wants to rule over our emotions, rule over our needs, rule over all that we desire. That's what he wants. Because when Jesus gets the heart and then everybody has a heart for him and his rulership, you have a completely different family structure. You have a completely different city. You have a completely different county. You have a completely different nation. Indeed, the world is changed. Jesus wouldn't let them crown him king, which is a great message for all of us today. Make sure that you're not looking to Jesus just to meet your every need. One of the real problems in American culture is we've created a Jesus that we've taught and preached to say to people, well, he's here to meet your needs. Dear friends, you are here to meet his needs. He's not here necessarily just to serve you. You're here to serve him. Yes, he wants to meet your needs. Yes, he wants to multiply miracles in your lives. You've got to believe that. But ultimately, you're called to serve him, to give him the glory. And pastors aren't here to have great numbers. Pastors are here to teach people about Jesus being king of your heart and you letting him, yes, meet your needs, but then you serving him for his glory and his glory alone. So let me wrap this up. Do you want a miracle in your life today? 
do you want even beyond that? A miracle that is multiplied. Well, let me give you three thoughts from the, these verses. First of all, be thankful. Make sure you live a life that is filled with thanksgiving, not just before grace, but all the time. Spend time every day giving thanks to God for all that he has given to you. Understand grace. It is the key word of the Christian faith. It means God gives us what we don't deserve. What a great and mighty God we have. We deserve hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from him. But he's not only given us the forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Christ, but through his resurrection has guaranteed us heaven and every spiritual blessing in the universe. Continue to be thankful. Give grace a chance in your life. And once you do, that healing grace will consume your heart when you know how much you are loved by the daddy in heaven. The proof is the cross of Calvary through Jesus, his son, the perfect God-man here on this side of creation. Oh, be thankful. Secondly, be generous. Be generous. Isn't it interesting that a five-year-old little guy gave the five barley loaves and the two fish? You know, the hero of the story, in my opinion, could be that five-year-old little kid who, by faith, gave all that his family had to Jesus and trusted him with the results. Be generous. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But the more you give, the more God then wants to give back to you. It's the law of reciprocity. Uh, Jesus taught it in Luke 6, 38. I would invite you to do the same. With, first of all, your words. Be generous with your words. Use your words to build up other people. Be generous with God's money that he's loaned you. Yes, I believe that the first 10% off the top belongs to Jesus. I believe it's taught in the Old Testament. Some people say that's the law, no longer applicable for today. Here's what I believe, that the tithe for a faithful Orthodox Jew was just the beginning point for giving. If you look at how much they actually gave, they gave away 25 to 27% of their income. Once every three years, a 10% gift to the poor and the needy. Oh, I'm going to get away next week and start praying for the next vision for Moments of Hope Church. I know it's going to include a great passion for the poor. But I would invite all of you to be generous with your money. Where do I think that begins? Is with the 10%. And if you're wealthy folks, the 10% should really be the bottom floor, the beginning point for your giving. Some of you think, well, I've got millions upon millions of dollars. I give a tithe. And God's sitting there going, well, for you, it's not how much you give. It's how much do you have left? You've got to look at how being generous with all that you have should be a responsible place in your life. But begin with a tithe. Yes, I think so. I think those of us who've experienced the grace of Jesus should give far more than what's the bottom line for an Orthodox Jew in the Old Testament. So be generous with your money. Be generous with your time. I want to go away next week and pray about how every hopester can be involved in ministry. Every single one of us. Use the gifts that God has given us. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your talents. Be generous with your treasures. Be generous with your words. Be generous, and you're planting the seeds for God to do a miracle in your life. And not only a miracle, but a multiplied miracle, as we see here, this five-year-old boy giving all that he had in a hunger situation, trusting Jesus with a childlike faith that he would supply their every need, not just their need, but in abundance, all that they needed. I hope all of you might take Michael Ballard's course on finances and learn how to control your finances. Uh, he said to me recently, you know, a, a lot of people don't want to take his course, uh, not because they don't tithe, but because they're embarrassed to have to look at their debt. He said, people need a checkup from the neck up. And so I hope all of you might consider taking that course 
Why? To deal with your debt because you're a slave to debt. And once you get rid of that debt, you can then be more generous. And when you plant those seeds of generosity again, you can have a miracle occurred in your life, a multiplied miracle like you've never known it before. That's one of my dreams and hopes as well as every hopester take that course and get out of debt so that we can be generous for all the needs that surround us locally and globally. So be thankful, be generous, and finally, be a servant. Did you notice that Jesus was the one who took the five barley loaves and the two fish to the crowds. He did that. He was trying to model for his disciples that they need to take the gifts they have to the needy as well. Be a servant. When you learn that Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away, Mark 10:45. that's our example. We're not called to be served. We're called to serve when we follow the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ. And folks, I believe with all of my heart When you're thankful and generous and a servant, you can begin to see those multiplied miracles in your own life. Mm. And think about this too. Abraham was promised that through him, every nation on the earth would be blessed. There'd be more descendants than sands on the seashore. Let me plant this seed. Abraham was childless until he was 100. He finally had one child. And through that child, Isaac, came Jacob and then Joseph. And then between Genesis and Exodus, they went from 60-plus to 3 million people. And now through this Jesus who came through the seed of Abraham, every nation on the face of this earth has been blessed. Why? Abraham's faith granted millions, even billions, to know God personally. Would you believe in that kind of a God, that kind of a God who through faith wants to multiply miracles in your life? Do so today and just see if you can't experience that yourself. Let's pray together. Father, it is by faith that we come to believe in you through Jesus. It's not through our works, but by grace through faith. And I pray everyone watching right now would have that kind of miracle-working faith in their hearts. I pray in Jesus' name if there's anyone right now who does not know you personally but wants to have that kind of miracle-working power in their hearts to choose to believe in Jesus today. All you've got to do is pray this prayer. I'm sorry, Lord, for the ways I've screwed up my life, the people I've hurt, the way I've hurt myself. I confess my sins to you, and I believe I'm forgiven of those sins in Jesus' name. And if you just prayed that prayer, you're accepted into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit's been birthed in your heart the greatest miracle of all, that you've moved from darkness into light and you are saved. You're going to heaven now. And let us know about it so we can begin that growth process for you to become a totally devoted follower of Jesus. To Jesus belongs all the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with practical applications about how we should wait on the Lord. We'll be right back. What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand the history and prophecies of the second coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, 
Jesus' first coming and how we can have faith in His second coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you. In this morning's e-devotion, you ask the readers, have you ever been hurt by someone? Where were you headed with this question? Oh, my, because most all of us have been hurt by someone. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and the next question I had uh, in my mind was, have lies ever been spoken about you? And my guess is most everyone listening has had lies yes. spoken about them. Rumors spread about you that just aren't true. All of us have had those things happen to us. We live in a world that's interdependent. Uh, we're connected with one another. And since all of us are fallen and fall far short of the glory of God, we do hurt one another another. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, since all of us have had these things happen to us, been hurt by someone, lies spread about us, rumors wrongly spoken about us, how do we handle that kind of thing? Well, yeah. Our first human natural defense is to basically punch back, you know, and try to defend ourselves. It's what we shouldn't do, though, Jen. Jesus made that so clear in his teachings to us. Defensiveness rarely, if ever, changes someone's mind. There's another road that we should travel down. While our first human inclination is to defend ourselves, it's what we shouldn't do. What we should do, though, is wait upon the Lord. Yeah. Trust Him. Why is that? Because here's the Davidism today. Time and truth travel together. Hmm. Time and truth travel together. First, we need to trust God's timing. We remind ourselves that he oversees everything, and in his perfect way and in his perfect timing, we will see the truth brought to life. Mm -hmm. His timing is always perfect. When we look at the life of Jesus, for example, we hear Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It was the perfect time for Jesus to enter the world. There was a Roman peace. No wars existed during that time period. There were Roman roads that connected all of the major cities in Rome. And there was a common Greek language that everyone spoke. It was the perfect time mm. for Jesus to enter the world and then form a missionary movement that had one common language connected by Roman roads uninterrupted by a Roman peace. Mm. God's perfect timing. And Jesus then brought truth into the world. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So therefore, if God's timing is perfect, and if God is perfect truth, we can always remember that he'll do the right thing in his way, in the right timing, with the right truth accompanying it. So keep this in mind, dear listeners. If you've been wronged by someone and you want to be defensive and grab a microphone and tell the world that they're wrong, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Take the high road because time and truth travel together. This is really good. This reminds me of something that my husband says, and he works with people through his job. He works in the HR department, and he interfaces with a lot of dramatic situations. And he says, sometimes it's like a bag of corn has been thrown up in the air, and it landed and 
a big cloud of dust is in the air. You just need to let the dust settle, and then the truth will come forth Mm -hmm. very clearly. That's a great image and a great picture for everybody to consider that eventually the truth does become known. Just trust God because, again, time and truth travel together. So powerful. Such wonderful truth for us today. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen. And everyone, if you would like to receive these daily e-blasts from me, these Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge from my heart to yours, arriving in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. Again, to start your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to get your free video called The End Times. This is our gift, free for all of our Moments of Hope radio listeners. This informative teaching looks at what the Bible tells us about the end times. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, that's momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston.